Where are my 80s children out there? Yes, there you go. Belinda Carlisle, she's going to kick us off every week for this series right here. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. I'm excited to be here. I don't know about you, but man, I love Easter Sunday. It's great to see all of you. Um, and as Jude alluded to, we're, we're kicking off a brand new series called Heaven on Earth. And that, that, even that phrase right there has a couple words in it I would love for us to explore this morning. So uh, you guys know how this works. I love feedback. You get to talk back to me in these moments. So I, I just want to know what comes to mind or what images come to mind when you think of the word heaven. Okay? Shout it out. I'm going to put it on the screen. Oh, what was that? What was that? Somebody over here? Clouds. Is that what I heard? Oh, hold on. Let me get my marker up here. Clouds. Okay. Pearl, giant pearls. Okay. Uh, streets of gold. Stairs. Uh, what? Somebody else said something back there. Peace, I heard. Angels. Okay. Gates. Man, you guys are filling up my list here. Worship. Okay, hold on. Joy. Okay, stop right there. Oh, you, you guys are actually answering the second question. So also, what emotions? So we've got peace. We've got joy. Any other emotions that kind of come to mind when you think of this? Happy. happy. Rest. Rest. Okay. Awesome. Complete. Complete. Okay. We're going to stop right there. You guys, man, you guys were on top of it. So let me switch pages here. So we're going to clear the screen. Now, the par other part of that expression was earth. So, oh yeah. So now, what images come to mind when you think of the word earth? Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to go back to heaven here, and I'm going to write perfect, because we know that's where that one goes, Jude. It's always one in the crowd. Sin. Hate. Hate. Okay, I heard challenging. Forgive my misspellings if it's there. What's somebody say over here? Darkness. Darkness. Chaotic. Broken. Broken. <laughs> Long winter. Death. Crazy. Dirt. Dirt. What was the other one? War. Did you say war? Or am I hearing things? We can stop right there. What was that one? Farmers. Farmers. <laughs> uh, what about emotions that go with this side? Tired. Tired. Anxious. Soldiers. You said soldiers? What else? Any other emotions? Fear. Fear. Oh, we'll stop right there. That's a, that's a tough one. Okay. Thanks for letting me try out new technology this morning. Um, yeah, so when we go back and forth and we look at this list here, you kind of look at that list and you kind of go, huh, okay. That feels pretty good, doesn't it? Let's live, stay there. But then we move to this list and it's like, oh, ouch. That doesn't feel so good anymore. You know, even as I was putting this message together this week, um, I guessed that when, I w when we were doing this exercise, when we were writing a list for heaven and we were writing a list for earth, I knew that those two lists would be worlds apart, pun intended. 
You got that, Austin. I saw you were there with me. They're, but they are worlds apart, aren't they? But why is this? Wouldn't it be nice if earth could be a little more heavenly? Anybody else think that too? I mean, let's get this ugly list off the screen. Let's go back to this list here. That's the list we want to live in, right? That's the list that we wish we could be a part of. I mean, I agree. If when we thought of earth, we didn't feel anxious. If when we thought of earth, we didn't feel uptight, but we felt joy and we felt peace and we felt complete. And for those who follow Jesus, there's a little bit of a rub here, though. I mean, at least there is for me. Because as I think about this, I think about Jesus and, and I think about, so what was the point of Jesus' life and death and resurrection? If it wasn't to kind of make our world a little bit better, if it wasn't to kind of begin to do some of this stuff. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus himself tell us this in the most famous prayer that we've ever heard where he said, your, you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that supposed to be what we're praying? And if we're praying that, isn't that something we're supposed to be seeing taking place? Well, I know that for me, I find myself living in that kind of attention. Maybe you find yourself living there too. Well, I've got good news for you. We are starting this series today where over the coming weeks, we're going to look at this exact topic. What does it mean to have heaven on earth? How do we understand what Jesus was saying when he prayed those words and modeled those words for us to pray on earth as it is in heaven? And how can we, what is our role? How do we help? What do we do to kind of become part of what Jesus is doing? Because he's doing something. Now, what makes this difficult and challenging for me and maybe for some of you is I believe that we have misheard, mistaken, and even manipulated the message of Jesus. Oh, yeah, that got interesting, didn't it? Let me say that again. I believe that part of the problem is that we have misheard, mistaken, or even manipulated the message of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think everybody who does this does it with malicious intent. I don't think it's all done in evil. Well, what do I mean by this? Well, if we were to just stop for a moment and we asked another question, you don't have to answer this one out loud, but if we were to say, what was the most important thing that Jesus said? Think for that for just a moment. What was the most important thing that Jesus said or Jesus communicated while he was here on earth? For some, we'd jump right here. Right away, we would jump straight to John 3, 16. It's the most famous passage. I mean, good grief. It ends up on posters at, super, at football games, doesn't it? I mean, John 3, 16. You know, what is it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so when we ask that question about what was the message of Jesus, what was the most important, most critical thing that Jesus said, what we do is we say it's believe. Believe, says it right there in this verse, only believe. That's got to be the most important thing. And you go to most churches and this is the message you're going to hear. In the early days of me working in churches, this was, you know, 100 years ago, I worked with a pastor that regardless of what passage in the Bible he preached from, everything landed right there. Everything landed with one message. It didn't matter the context or the scripture or anything else. It went right here. You're a worthless sinner. Believe in Jesus and get saved. That was it. That was every message for two years as I was on staff at that church. It was, 
I remember because the first time I went to another church and I heard a pastor preach a message that wasn't that, I thought, oh, it was so life-giving. It was like, just give me more. Now, don't get me wrong. This is an important message. It's just an incomplete message. It's not all that Jesus talked about. But what we've done, this kind of comes into that whole manipulating the message of Jesus thing. In an effort for us to do things like grow big churches, in an effort to count numbers and have reports and forms and make the church look more like a business than a church, what we do is we pare down this message of Jesus into the easy read version so that everybody can understand, but we just kind of leave it right there. And so we make the message of Jesus. The goal of that is to fill up the bus going to heaven, which is also bad theology, and we'll talk about that. And we've reduced the message of Jesus to salvation only. It's just incomplete. That's not all that Jesus had to say. Now for others, if you grew up maybe like I did, and that was kind of the message you heard, that pendulum loves to swing. I talk about that a lot. The pendulum goes back and forth. And man, we are such creatures of pendulum swings. And we don't like it when it's kind of in here. We like it on the extremes. So when we move from this kind of Jesus salvation only message and that pendulum swings, we find that it swings hard to the other side. And we look at the Bible and we say, no, no, no. That's not the most important message of Jesus. You know what the most important message of Jesus is? It's things like this. It's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's doing good. Do good deeds. I mean, after all, in Matthew chapter 25, didn't Jesus say this himself? He said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me and I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, we, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so that pendulum swings to the other side which the gospel, the message of Jesus, just becomes an entire message of social justice, equality, or do-goodism. Now, to be fair, that's not a bad message. It's not an unimportant message. It is also an important message. It's still just an incomplete message. It's not all that Jesus had to say. It's only a part. And as I said, the problem with this salvation only gospel or the social justice gospel is that they're incomplete. Now his message does include these things, but what we have to understand is that the message of Jesus is bigger than each of these things individually. It's more, it's more than just say a prayer, your ticket to heaven is punched, move on. I mean, it, we won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of us grew up in that kind of a mentality? Where it's like the rest of your life didn't matter. If you said the magic words, abracadabra, you're in. It's incomplete. But it's also bigger than helping an older woman across the street or serving a meal for somebody who's hungry. It's more than securing your destination when you die. And sometimes I feel like that's what we've reduced it to. And here's your statement. It's even bigger than your personal relationship with God. It's bigger than that. To try to understand what Jesus came to do and what he taught, 
we need to fill in the missing pieces. We need to look and say, okay, so what was this message of Jesus? And really, if we want to look at it, we can move to his first words that he began to speak when he would go around preaching and teaching. And you find it in several of the Gospels in the New Testament. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, this is what we read. It said, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Do you notice how Mark describes this message of Jesus? He says, it's what kind of news? Just a quick poll. How many of you would say, surrounded by church messaging sometimes, you would use adjectives to describe it other than good? Anybody? Yes. We all been there. Yes. But Mark says this is good news. That's another word for gospel. But what is this good news? Is it Jesus died on the cross for your sin so you can go to heaven when you die? That's not what Mark says there is it? That's not the message that he's proclaiming. The word translated good news there in that passage actually gives us some idea of what's being communicated here, because there's a Greek word that was used not just in the Bible, but it was used in first century in this area at the time. Euangelion is the word. And you may have heard that before. Good news, gospel is how we translate it. But do you know how that word was used outside the Bible? It was used to describe a royal announcement. So it was the word that was used when Emperor Augustus was born. That's the word. Good news, this royal announcement. And the good news here that Mark is using, that Mark is talking about, is also another royal announcement. Don't think the wording he uses is by mistake or, or coincidental. There's a purpose behind the word that Mark uses here when he says, Evangelion, the good news, because what he's doing, he's saying that there is an announcement about this person named Jesus. King Jesus has now arrived. His kingdom of the kingdom of God has now come right here, right now. The kingdom of God is breaking forth into this world. That's what he's saying. And believe it or not, the kingdom of God, sometimes also referred to as the kingdom of heaven, was what Jesus spoke most often about. Now, you may hear preachers sometimes, and they like to say, oh, the most talked about topic was money. Kind of, but not really, because a lot of times Jesus used money to talk about the kingdom. Just because he said the word money doesn't mean that was the point. He was talking about his kingdom. In Mark 16 chapters... The kingdom is mentioned 14 times. In Matthew, 28 chapters of Matthew, we find kingdom talked about 50 times. And in Luke, there are 39 mentions in its 24 chapters. We're seeing a repeated pattern that there was something significant about this idea of the kingdom of God. Now, I get it. We don't talk about kingdoms much. In fact, when we were putting this series together, we talked about, do we call it the kingdom of God or upside down kingdom? We've used that before. But we intentionally didn't use the word kingdom because really we don't use that very much. I mean, outside the upcoming coronation of King Charles III in the UK, we really don't interact with kingdoms very much at all. In fact, when we think of kingdoms, we often think about that's old, outdated, antiquated, and a little bit silly. I mean, I'll watch the coronation in a month and I'll probably go, wow, that's just weird. Why do we still do this and think somebody's that special just by birth? That's just me. Sorry if you're a royal lover. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sure I did, but didn't mean to. 
I know, scandalous on, on Easter Sunday. Man, throwing shade at the monarchy. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> I know, yes. But what are we talking about? And more importantly, what was Jesus trying to say when he repeatedly talks about this idea of the kingdom of God and not just about the kingdom of God, but that the kingdom of God is here, that it's now, it's in the presence, it's breaking forth into our world. What are we talking about? Well, for our purposes today, and we're going to dig more into this next week as well, we're just going to define kingdom or God's kingdom as God's reign through King Jesus as he is setting up shop here and now. That's how we're going to talk about it. It's where God rules and reigns. And Dallas Willard defined it this way, this way. He says, it's the range of God's effective will where God, what God wants done is done. And with that means it's the beginning of God to begin to put back right what is wrong in this world. And unlike the kingdoms of this world, where King Charles III has a very defined geography, I think over his reign, that geography is going to shrink from what I'm hearing on the news, and that's, you know, that's what happens. But in our area of the kingdom of God, one of the defining characteristics we have to realize is that it's not just geographical boundaries, it's, it's, it's not one place at all. It includes all places. It includes everywhere. It's every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It's not pointed to just one direction. It expands beyond that. And while beyond just a defined geographical area, the most defining characteristic of a kingdom is a king. It's a king. It's King Jesus, and he shapes everything about this kingdom. He gets to talk about how he wants things done. He does this by royal decree. And if he says, I think this is, this is how my kingdom is supposed to be, that's how it's going to be because this is where he rules and this is where he reigns. And then he also gets to exert that rule and that reign over his citizens, over those that come into the kingdom. They put themselves under King Jesus, agreeing to say, I will follow how you want me to live, how you want me to do. And so when King Jesus says things to us like, turn the other cheek, you know what that means? It means you don't get to slap somebody when they slap you. It means you turn the other cheek. When Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, it doesn't mean we get to go on social media and trash them however we want. It means we just go, I need to pray for them because we've surrendered ourselves and put ourselves under King Jesus. And I love the language that Jesus uses because it's nearness language, because it's not a promise and a hope for the future. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. It is now, right now, not some pie in the sky hope for something that's to come. It's something we can experience now. And it's significant for us to look at how Jesus talks about this. Because he doesn't just say any kingdom. He does specifically say, look, this is God's kingdom. And in a sense, it is otherworldly because it's not how we think. But it isn't otherworldly in the way that it's, we're looking for an escape hatch from, to get us out of here. In other words, it's, it's that what God desires for his creation, for you, is coming here. It's going to be a part of here. And the kingdom of Jesus that he's bringing about is going to be different than any other kingdom that we've ever seen or any other kingdom that we could even be a part of. And not only will it be different, but it's going to be challenging. It's going to be a direct challenge to the other kingdoms that we see 
and that we know. I mean, what we have to look at and understand, I mean, think about it. We said that in the first century, that word, good news, was used for a royal decree when uh, Emperor Augustus was born. Do you know what it meant for Mark to use that in writing to say, King Jesus is here? He's putting those two kingdoms directly in conflict because you didn't, you didn't challenge the ruling emperor. You didn't challenge the ruling king. You didn't do that. And by Mark doing that, he says, look, this is going to challenge the way you think you think, the way you think you see things and the way you think you know things. You see, as, as Jesus kicks off this kingdom, as he says, look, the kingdom is near, what he's telling us is that, look, we all surrender to something. We are all in a kingdom somewhere. I mean, think about it for a moment. What do you surrender yourselves to? You know an easy way to find out what kingdom you're in? Look at your calendar and look at your checkbook. Oh, hmm, don't go there. Yeah. That'll easily tell us where our allegiances lie. But we're all part of a kingdom. And we shouldn't fool ourselves and think that, that this is insignificant or an easy thing. We feel the pull of the kingdoms of this world. What are those things that we feel the pull of? Money. Comfort, power, control, greed, politics, sin, death, a kingdom of our own making. I mean, after all, who doesn't want to be king or queen? I mean, I get it. There can be some downfalls to fame. But, you know, I'm, I'm quite all right if somebody just wants to come in and clothe me and cook for me and drive for me and fly me places. And all I have to do is this. I'm down for that. I mean, who doesn't want to be queen for a day, right? I mean, I admit my own challenger tendencies. You know, I'm the guy that's like, tell me not to do something is the way I end up doing it. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to be in charge. And you know what that tells me? I want to be king. I want to be king. And the problem is, is that when the other 7.8 billion people in this world also want to be king, we have a little bit of trouble. Because you people just won't do what I say. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near, he's telling, he's looking at you. He's saying, look, there's a different way. There's a better way. And he's kicking it off with his life. And then you read through the gospels and you see the three years that he spent modeling it and teaching about it and living it. So countercultural, so counter political, so counter religious that it cost him his life. I mean, think about that. This upset everyone. Well, except the people that had been discarded. They loved what he had to say because he made room for them. But it makes me wonder. What was he willing to die for? Why was he willing to die for it? I mean, what was so important about this message that he was willing to die a brutal, horrific, publicly humiliating death? And not just him. You realize that, right? 
that this message, what Jesus did, was so compelling and so engaging and so life-transforming that the early Christians also gave their lives for this same message. I mean, Peter crucified upside down, Paul killed. You just look one right after another. These early disciples and Christians thrown to the lions, set on fire, lit as torches by Nero, unwilling to recant and give up that message. My God, what is so important about that message? What is it that we might be missing that Jesus was trying to get across to us? And then the convicting message. What am I really willing to die to and for? What are you really willing to die to and for? Well, that's just uncomfortable. Let's move on. <laughs> now, you may be thinking, Brent, I thought this was Easter. Where's the resurrection? Where's the resurrection, Brent? What does this have to do with it? Because here's the significance. The resurrection is everything. The resurrection was everything. What we sometimes forget is that Jesus wasn't the only person to do what he did in, in some of the things. He wasn't the first person to come on the scene and say, I'm the Messiah, follow me. No, there were many of those people. He wasn't the first person to push back against the religious status quo. Nope, those people existed. He wasn't even the first Messiah-type figure to be crucified. He was, however, the first person to rise from the dead. He was the first person who, with his message, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rose from the dead. And why so, while so many so-called kings have died, only one rose from the dead. And it's because of the resurrection that we need to sit up and we need to pay attention. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, if he truly rose from the dead, it validates everything that Jesus said and did. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a letter that Paul wrote to a church, he actually makes this statement. I'm going to paraphrase it because we're short on time. But here's basically what Paul says, and you can read it later. He says, you know what? I told you this. I told you Jesus died for your sins, and I told you he rose from the dead. And I saw it, and the disciples saw it, and 500 people saw it, and a bunch of us saw it. We appeared, and we've seen this happen. And then he goes on, and he continues to say, but if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're just fools. We're all just wasting our time. This is silly. Go home and go to bed. Take off your fancy clothes. Put your ham back in the refrigerator and go live your normal life. We, Paul actually says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are to be pitied. And shouldn't we be? But, but if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything he said is validated. Everything he taught is something we have to look at and say, wow, this is significant. And Paul, at the end of talking about being pitied and all this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead. The resurrection's been validated, validated everything Jesus said and did. And here's what's significant. Is the crucifixion important? You better believe it. But you know what? Thousands died by crucifixion. Only one rose on the third day. We are called not to be crucifixion Christians. We are called to be resurrection people who live in the hope of the resurrection 
resurrection of Jesus and who live in a place in the kingdom of God, living and modeling what Jesus lived and modeled for us to move beyond just this hopeless existence and believing that this world is just going to hell in a handbasket because what Jesus has done, he's already kicked it off. And here's the kicker. He's looking at you and he's looking at me and he's saying, would you come be a part of this? You see, the, 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 the crazy thing about Jesus is that when you look at what all other kings have done, you know how they get their subjects? Conquering, battle, swords, death, destruction, burning things down. And could Jesus do that? Sure. There are some Christians who believe that's what Jesus is going to do. He's not. What he's going to do is he, yeah, did you catch that? What he's going to do, what he has done, and what he's doing this morning is he's extending an invitation to you and to me. And he's saying, look, the kingdom of God's here. I'd really love for you to be a part of it. Will you join me? Will you join me? And the challenge of being in the kingdom with Jesus is that it's not a one and done thing. Well, I prayed a prayer when 1922 or what? It doesn't matter. It's choosing every day to wake up. And I know me, because every day when I wake up, guess who wants to be ruling and reigning? Me. And every day, I have to take Brent, and I have to go, whoop, off the throne, Brent. <laughs> and let's let Jesus sit in his rightful place. You see, the way the kingdom of God works, the way he advances his kingdom in through conquest, it's by forming a people yes. who participate with him we surrender to him. He advances his kingdom. Listen to this. By forming a people who participate in that kingdom by surrendering and following the king. And when we understand what Jesus came to do, we realize that we don't need fear. We don't need fear. We don't need power. We don't need control to bring this world under the, the name of Jesus. You know why? It already is because Jesus rose from the dead. It's already under his control. And so when we get mad and when we rise up and we say, I've got to do this, sit down. And take on the meekness of the one who went to the cross and rose from the dead. Because that tells us everything that we need to know. How do I know? Because he is the only one with the power to rise from the dead. And when he did that, he defeated every enemy. No earthly king has ever been able to defeat the powers and enemies of sin, death, and the grave. So the question for you and for me is how now will we live? It's an invitation. It's an invitation to be a part of the Jesus kingdom. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do you want to live as the hopeless people or do we want to live as resurrection people being shaped more by Easter than the prevailing realities that we may see swirling around us? You see, the challenge of this invitation is this, whether you've never taken that first step to follow or you've been following Jesus for 50 years, it's just that daily commitment, taking myself off the throne and surrendering to him because the way to life is through death. You can't have a resurrection without a death. Did you know that? 
And we can't rise with Jesus unless we surrender to him. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come. Jesus said it in his message that was recorded in Mark. He says, you know, the way this happens, the way we get there is repentance. Repent. It's a changing of your mind. And for some of us, we do need to change our minds this morning. We need to stop and we just need to say, I understand the invitation and I'm ready to follow King Jesus. It's not for the future. It is. But it's not only for the future. It's here and now. The question is, what will we do with that invitation? He is the king. You understand that? It's not Jesus is the king if we enthrone him as king, if we say he's king. Oh, he's still king. Whether or not we acknowledge it, because that's what the resurrection proved. That nothing could hold him down. The invitation for us is will we step in and follow? Let's pray.